Awesome. Well, good morning. It is really, really good to be back with you guys. I can't believe it's been so long. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much for um, graciously allowing us to go for so long. I promise you the fruit will come back to you a thousandfold. Um, it was actually really hard watching those. Because I just want to be back there with them. Ooh, so we're going to share a little bit about the trip and what God did there um, in us as well as in them um, and how you um, by sowing into our ministry by sowing into these trips um, get to play a part of it and so um, I want Carol to come up first and um, Carol's going to share a little bit um, about what God did in her through this trip so um, when this was coming about this trip it was when Egan was here, I think in November, last November, and um, Pastor Heather asked, are you going to Africa? And I kept telling her, no, I have not been delivered of Wimpy yet. So, but I told her I'd pray about it. But, um, and I did pray about it, um, but I still had not been delivered of Wimpy yet. But the Lord was doing something in me, and um, he had asked me about probably four months ago, are you ready to live again? I had gone, um, been gone for three weeks for a training, um, and when I was going to Pennsylvania, I started having all the old anxiety. I had panic attacks driving through the tunnels. I had panic attacks when I got um, close to the water when we had to go do outreach and uh, learn how to do inner city um, ministry. And the Lord started showing me I needed to let go of my past. And I was holding on to my past, and I didn't quite understand it. So during those three weeks, he completely healed me. So when I was driving home, I could cheer through the tunnels because I had no panic attacks. I could go by the water. So he totally started changing me there. But he started revealing something to me. Um... About a month ago, that I am stuck. And I think I've shared that before. And I kept asking the Lord, how do I do this? And then when um, I was asked one more time to come on the missions trip, I thought I was going for one reason. And two weeks before the trip, the Lord spoke so clearly to me. Your reasoning that you think you're going is not accurate you are going because there's something in that promised land and if you trust me and if you surrender to me there's something on that promised land so during that time the enemy decided to start some spiritual warfare in my family with my brother-in-law getting very sick having massive surgery many complications and then my mom was in the hospital and I had not told my family I was leaving yet, only my oldest son. And um, Paul was thrilled because he thought he was the beneficiary if something happened to me. So um, he said, I'll stay at your house and I'll handle everything. So he was all excited, but I hadn't told my family. And she was in the hospital, but I knew God was speaking to me. 
But then there's other voices speaking too and saying, I think all this is happening because you're not supposed to go. And so on Sunday, it was the Sunday before the Thursday we were supposed to leave, I just, midnight, I got up and I started praying. I said, I need to know your voice. I need to know if I've been hearing you right, that this is my promised land. This is my time to let go of fear. And he was trying to get me to a place of complete surrender. And he gave me this most incredible dream that night. And I remember I called Teresa Applin, and I asked her for her input. And Teresa walks in incredible wisdom. She goes, not every door is of God. And she prayed, and in about 30 minutes, uh, 30 seconds later, a minute later, she called and she said, no, this is absolutely right. You are reading this right. God has something for you. And so what he was doing and using this church body to help me move into my promised land. See, he's planted me here for a purpose because you all helped me get there. You all were had faith when I lost faith when I called Pastor Heather the day we were forced to go, supposed to leave. And I said, I can't leave my mom. But the Lord was asking me to leave my family, not to worry about them being angry that I decided to go to Africa. They thought I was crazy, except for my oldest son. He was thrilled. Again, wanted the beneficiary. But... I knew God was telling me there's something that he wants, and if I don't do this, I am still where I'm not supposed to be. And in this dream, I'm not going to share all of it because it's so incredible and it's very personal to me, but the biggest part that I want you to know is I'm a very logical person, and it's great for someone to say, well, press into the Lord, and I'm like, how, how? And he's saying, don't pull back. And I'm like, I don't understand what that means. So he gave me this dream. And he's been taking me to Ezekiel. And his verse for me all year was been, be still and know that I am God. And he's been taking me to Ezekiel, the river. And he kept saying, you're going this way in the river back and forth because you have control. And so the more I went this way, the more I stayed in control. But the more I stayed in control, the more he couldn't do what he needed to do to me to move me into that promised land. And see, in that promised land, when they got in there, there were giants on the land, and he was trying to get rid of my fear. See, I did pray about going to Africa, but I was scared to death. I was terrified. Ask George. Two weeks before we were supposed to go, I told Pastor Heather, I am absolutely terrified. I've never been even camping. And I'm driving home, and, the, and, and one of my podcasts, it says, do not be terrified. Wherever you go, the Lord goes with you. So I knew he was speaking to me, but he was moving those giants of fear, of pride, of control, of regret, of rejection, of self-rejection. He was telling me, it's time to kill the giants. But I had to make a step, and I had to trust so I called Pastor Heather, said I can't leave her. And I called my older son, and I said, Paul, you got to meet me at my house. They're kicking her out of a Hoosier, and she's going to stay with me. Well, within 35 minutes, she goes, where's my lunch? I'm hungry. She ate. Then she had chocolate cake. And so I called my siblings. I said, I'm leaving for Africa tomorrow. And they were not happy with me because uh, my older sister and her husband were not feeling well. Uh, my other sister, her husband had surgery, but I knew I was to go. I could not explain it. And in this dream, I'll go back to that. The Lord had me where we were in the church praying for the 
Pastor Heather and I, all of you were praying for us, the pastors, uh, for us to go to Africa. That in that dream, someone came behind me and raised my hands. See, you guys were the ones lifting my hands up. And in that, when you guys lifted my hands up, in the river, it says that he go out 1,500 cubits further. You are totally underwater. And he was telling me, complete surrender. And in that dream, when someone lifted my hands up and I let go, it was the most incredible peace, the most incredible victory, that when I went to the other side in the dream, there was someone reaching their hand out to me, and they said the same words the Lord spoke to me. You've been waiting for vindication, and you've been afraid of your future. That's what your problem is. You have to completely surrender to me. Get in the river. Stay submerged in the river. Stay surrendered. And while I was in Africa, I didn't understand, but he told me to bring this. I received this from a gentleman that I support in Texas. And it's the camels. And I had it with me. Nobody knew. I didn't even know why I brought it. But last night, he revealed to me when he kept telling me, you know, things are happening while I'm in Africa. Things are happening when I get home. And the Lord keeps telling me, don't pull back. Don't pull back. And I kept saying, what do you mean, Lord? And he showed me that it was like I lived life like this. My heart was all folded, and I could protect myself. But then he told me, and you guys are praying for me. My heart unfolded a little bit more. And then all of a sudden, I started opening up, and I could feel. And then when things got difficult or I didn't understand, I wanted to pull back. And he's saying, don't pull back. So the more I stayed surrendered to him, he opened my heart even more. And see, every one of these camels, he's saying, this was a blessing. When I kept my heart folded and I'm doing me and me instead of living in him and staying surrendered deep under that water, I miss blessings. But he's saying, they're not gone. They're on your path. They're where the giants were. And you were, went and took them out. So I thank you for your prayers because he continues to open my heart. He continues to say, don't pull back. And so many times we think obedience doesn't matter. It is greater than sacrifice because he's going to ask, will you surrender? And when you say yes, he grabs hold of that and then he will give you something to do, like go to Africa where you're terrified. You're, I mean, I am claustrophobic. I didn't even think I could stay on the plane that long, but he asked me to do that. So, and, and he was there, but he's saying, will you let go? And it's in the crushing. It's in the breaking. And when I got to the airport on Minnesota, to Minnesota to Cleveland, my flight was late. Every flight was on time. Pastor Heather left on time. Then there's Cleveland. And when I get there, Cleveland in the Minnesota airport is pushed way in the back. It's filthy. The chairs are all broken. And I'm like, seriously, Lord? And then I was getting, getting ready to get on the plane. I said, wait a minute. I didn't get to experience all that, what you showed me of me being completely submerged in you. What were you saying? And he said, clear as day. You were looking for a big door. It was the small door. See, he's been cutting away everything off of me for the past seven years. And I didn't understand what he was doing. And then going through a difficult divorce and it taking three years to get through it. And then a year to try to recoup and understand where you're at. And he was saying, I'm cutting everything away because if I didn't cut it all away, 
It was on your knees going through the small door is where you find your new beginning in your life. So it's the door. And I have a key that Pastor Heather gave everyone at the women's conference last October. And she said, this key will open the door. Will you surrender to the door? And this morning as I was getting ready, I always left it on my bathroom counter. The Lord showed me the door is the door of surrender. That door of being in that river of life is in him that we move, we live, and we have our being. And I can't thank each of you enough for praying for me, praying for my mom, praying for my family, because this victory is yours too. So I thank you. Come on, Jesus. Thank you, Carol. Hey, Carol, I have a question for you. Are you going to go back? Woohoo! You know, we were um, uh, in, I don't know, I've been gone for four weeks. I have no idea any concept of time. I probably can't speak English. Um, and I have no idea all the towns and countries um, that I was in. But we were visiting with someone on the way back, and um, she wanted to know about the trip. And then she's like, oh, I went on a mission trip. And this is someone I pastored for years and years and years. And um, it, it, was, it was supernatural. It was a miracle that she started attending a care group, right, back in the day, and eventually hosting and leading one. But we never could get her on the mission field. And that's not for me. That's not for me. That's not for me. And she's like, I went on a mission trip. And she goes, everyone should go on one. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I think I might have told you that a time or maybe a hundred. Um, but thank God that she did go. And I say that to you because every believer should go on a mission trip at some point in life. It is absolutely life-changing. Carol will not be the same. She is not the same woman that we left with. And um, she was awesome before, but by golly, what God's done in her is supernatural and I've been on dozens of trips, and um, I was changed once again. I was absolutely changed. I went desperate. I went absolutely desperate and um, thinking one way with the Lord, and he broke me. He broke me wide open, and um, I found myself, you know, laid bare before the Lord, just absolutely bare, raw with him. And he, there's just something that happens when you step out in faith and go on that field. We call it a grace bubble. But as soon as you leave, leave your home and begin to go, this bubble surrounds you. And, and, and he, he speaks clearly. He speaks differently. You're able to hear him differently. And I was just broken and raw, and um, spent many a night just crying out to the Lord alone, and, and encounter after encounter after encounter, knowing that he was changing me. But the amazing thing is, what happens on the mission field should never stay on the mission field. And, you know, we take people out, you know, in teams, but we say, and we tell them, you know, they, for all they know, you've been through Bible college, or ordained, and a leader in the church. You know, they don't know that you're a volunteer or that it's your first time ever, you know, telling someone about Jesus. But you go and you have this grand faith and believe and do, but you're supposed to take that back home. 
whatever you do there, whatever he does in you, you take back home. And, and um, so then I come home and have to begin to walk it out. And um, it was scary. It was. Doesn't matter how long I serve him. Doesn't matter how much I know that I know. You still are walking and living by faith. And so um, I'm enjoying the journey and, um, and how he's changed me. And you'll love the fruit and the benefits as it comes. Amen. Before I get further, I want to remind all you ladies, we have Women's Night Out Thursday. So if you have not registered, this is our fall event. I want you to register. We're going to Oak and Embers in Hudson. It's amazing food. And we'll have some fellowship. We'll have some worship. And um, you'll hear a word um, there. So make sure it should all be completely filled up by the end of today because you're all going to register. Okay. Okay. They heard, they heard me. I had to make sure they heard me. So um, my um, role here this morning is I want to take you on the trip with us. I want you to understand what all those videos and pictures were because you, as you sewed into our ministry, as you sewed financially into the trip, as you sewed, like Carol said, prayers, and you held up our arms, you are, our fruit there is your fruit. And it is your fruit. And maybe you not maybe you're not coming on the next trip, but maybe you're coming in five years. Maybe you're gonna help finance the next trips. Maybe you're gonna continue to help us sow into new life in Tanzania. Um, but it's important that you begin to know what that is. So we go to Crusade, and at Crusade, every day there is like four hours of teachings in the morning. So all morning long, it's the pastors, the city officials all the church choirs and leaders and then anybody that wants to come and the amazing thing is they're there early they're there for almost an hour and a half before we ever get there and they're dancing and they're worshiping and they're they're preparing their hearts right every day they had a new outfit every day all the different choirs had new songs and new dances of worship and if you, if it wasn't your choir but you liked their choir you could jump in with their choir and you could dance and worship and they tried to get me and Carol to get some moves, but we are all white girls. <laughs> but boy, did we try, and they were gracious to us, okay? And then we'd go, and so, I mean, so every morning I'd preach two times, and you know, and these people are hungry, and every seat's filled. The doorways are filled. You saw the little girls sit at the front door. They kept shooing people away from the pastor's entrance, but this little girl kept coming and just sitting to listen, and people sitting in the window seals all the way around the church building just to be a part of what God's doing. And, and it was awesome. God gave me a prophetic word for the whole community. Um, it was over the top for them. We, we preached and we taught. Carol shared. She was fully restored and redeemed that day. It was awesome. And, um, and just hungry. And then you, by you sewing into the trip, we paid for all of those people, over a thousand people, every single day to be fed. And so in the morning while, yeah. And they were totally, they were so thankful that, and they said they had been three years with, um, without rain, 
or steady rains and their harvest were, had been low. And so for them to have to pay for the, to feed all those people, they knew that God would provide, but it was going to be a real struggle for the community. And they were absolutely blown away when a week before crusade, we sent the money and said, here you go. And so it took a complete financial burden off of them. And so they had a team of over 15 that every morning during the teachings, they could hear us. But they were out in open outdoor stoves, right, with basically a fire and a big old pot on top. And they were making ugali, you know, ugali and rice and beans. And, but that was like a king's feast for them. And so it was totally awesome. We taught on the baptism of the Holy Ghost. We had some Holy Ghost days. We taught on the fire of God. And let me tell you, that room, people got baptized in the Holy Ghost that had never spoken tongues before. They were getting completely set free. You know, while you're teaching and preaching, and then all of a sudden they're manifesting and falling out on the floor. And, and, and it, not for show, but for, because of the preciousness of what Christ was doing. And for many of them had never heard the teachings at all that we were sharing um, and to just see them get filled with the presence was over the top and learn how to practice that presence and understand who the Holy Spirit is for them and how you can walk with him in your everyday life and it was massive and um, preached in their Sunday morning service and had a um, prophetic vision over the church and um, got to share that vision and you know that they came and when I tell you the pastors were kneeling down ask Carol begging to pray blessing over them begging begging this one pastor's wife was an evangelist and she was begging me to be her friend just please be my friend please bless me please bless me I want the anointing please bless me I want to be used and I mean on their knees begging and that little baby girl that I was holding, she was two, and that was the pastor and this evangelist wife. Um, that was their daughter. And the first day we got there, she kept interrupting the program. And um, Tanzanians are very official. They love their programs, and everything's very proper. She had all this program. And she kept poking her dad, and she kept poking him going, look, a white woman. <laughs> and, of course, it was in Swahili, but she kept saying it and kept entering and poking and so eventually they had to tell us what she was saying because everybody else is laughing and Carol and I are like what's going on a white woman and so I you know wave to her and when you wave to the Africans they don't know that you're telling them hello they think you're saying come see so she comes sit in my lap and she would just do this <laughs> that white woman's hair and um but they, so that they were the ones kneeling, one of the ones kneeling, begging for prayer. And we wake up the morning that we're leaving, and they had brought us a gift. Um, brought me a gift to make sure, and the gift came with a message to not forget their daughter. And, um, you know, we, we think about, like Carol said, you want these big doors, and you, we want these big things and lights. And, you know, many people look at the videos and the pictures and think, like, oh, those poor people, they don't have anything. But they don't know that they don't have anything. They're a simple people, but they are absolutely just as important as you or I. They are someone's wife, someone's mother, someone's father, someone's son, someone's sister, right? They're pastors, they're city officials, they're government leaders, they're business owners. You know, there was a picture of um, us, and, and, the, and then there was a picture of just a woman, and there was these, um, it looked just like trees, like, you know, like poles in the ground with this 
plastic tap stuff hanging down, right? Kind of tied. And that was Pastor Mary's church. And she could not wait to show me her church. She was so proud of it. Absolutely proud of it. And immediately I'm like, oh, I want to fix it. I want to buy her this. I want to buy her that. We're going to fix this up. And, and the Lord checked me on it and wanted me to rejoice with her where she was at. That doesn't mean I have all their info. That doesn't mean I, something ain't coming down the road someday. But that to rejoice with her and where she's at and to bless her, that he has anointed her. He has anointed her for that people. And, and the way that all that came about is Carol and I are just walking. I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to exercise. Like, we have to go do it. And Carol's like, I need to move. And so we would go walk. It was hot, and we were exhausted, but we'd go walk. And so we'd just get out, and we'd go walk. We were allowed to wear pants because, you know, only spiritual women do not wear pants. We have to wear a skirt past our knees. But on the walks, we could wear pants. Thank you, Jesus. And so every day we'd get pants on, and we'd lace up our shoes to go get red dirt all over ourselves. And then we'd eat about a pound of dirt an hour, and we'd go walk. And as we'd walk, these little girls and little boys that saw us preaching in the morning would come running. And at first, they would be about 10, 20 feet behind us. They'd be giggling. They'd be talking about our pants and our shoes and our hair. And they're just following us around. And then, you know, but then they'd get closer. And then we, you know, we're waving and we're trying to be nice. And the next thing you know, they're like attached. <laughs> you know, suction. And they just wanted to be with us. And so they'd walk, and one of them spoke English. And so they'd say, they're greeting you, or they're this, or, you know, they want this. And as we're walking, this woman starts hollering at us. And next thing, that's Pastor Mary. And she was like, where are you walking to? And we're walking for exercise. Why? <laughs> well, she didn't need to walk for exercise because she walked two miles. She walked four miles a day. One mile there, one mile back for morning session. One mile there, one mile back for evening crusade. So she was walking four miles a day. So she says, I'll walk with you. And Pastor Mary spoke decent English, and so we're walking and talking. And she's like, I want to show you things. And so next thing you know, we're going through the neighborhood. And the neighborhood for us, it don't look like anything. All it is is dirt and trash and little tiny trails and some huts. And, but it was her neighborhood. And she brings us to their sunflower mill. And the sunflower mill, these boys were, they were younger than you guys. They were probably Lily's age. And they're working these big machineries, and the machines broke. And they're trying to fix it. And then they're like, who are these white women? And so we just start, you know, they're showing us all the different parts. And, the, you know, it's the coolest thing. And it's dirty. They would not make American law. I mean, they would, America would shut them down. But like that, like that's their, that's a big business. And next thing you know, we're praying over them. We're praying over the machine. And we're praying that God would give these boys the wisdom to know how to fix it. And they're like, yes, yes, because they had no idea how to fix this machine. But that was their responsibility. And we start praying over the business owner. He wasn't there. And then as we're walking and we meet him and we tell him about, you know, how amazing his shop is, and we're so proud of him, and we've prayed God's blessing over his business and his family, and he was so humbled, and he's like, wait here, and he goes and gets us this big bottle of sunflower oil, and I'm like, what are we going to, what, what am I going to use the sunflower oil for in Africa? I'm not cooking, but he was so honored 
that someone would take the time to not only visit his shop, but to pray God's blessing because he knew and understood the value of that prayer and the value of what God can do, that he wanted to bless. He did not have many of those containers full. There was less than 10 in his shop, but it was so important for him to give that to Carol and I. And so we, those were the simple things as we're walking. We're walking back and we start meeting other choir members that just wanted to talk and walk with us and take pictures with us and show us their babies and um, hold hands and talk about our families and our church. And then we meet people. This one woman had a stroke on the right side of her body and she was walking and we meet up with her. We caught up with her because she's standing and she couldn't go any further. And we're trying to figure out what's going on and she can't talk. And then her whole right side is just like the droopsy face and her hand doesn't work. And then her foot was so, just that one foot was so swollen it could barely fit in her sandal slide. And she couldn't pick it up anymore. And she was sweating bullets in pain. But she had walked all this way just to get to crusade for someone to pray for her. She was the first person that night to get prayer. She was actually the first person that night to manifest with a demon. But she did get set free. It was cast out. Shabba. But we'd just meet people on the side of the road, and then, and then we'd pray for them. But as we're doing that, all those kids following us get to participate in the prayer. And all of those choir members that, were, that started following us get to participate in prayer. And they're not just the little kids in the service anymore. They're not just the choir members coming perform, but they're activating their faith with us and participating in the ministry of Christ on the road. And so then we'd get there, and it was about a quarter mile from the crusade site to our hotel, and there are already hundreds of people there two hours before crusade starts. Two hours before, with worship music blaring, and they're all in the African dust, dancing their heart out, worshiping, crying out to God for him to come, over the top. And so then we do crusade, and as far as you can see to all the buildings, it is absolutely packed. It's packed with young, it's packed with old. They had this old man, he was Oh my gosh, he was so precious and his skin was so leathery and wrinkly and he would be there every day and he, every day he'd stand in a different spot but he'd stand the entire time during worship, the entire time during preaching and he'd shake his head yes and he'd cry tears and as soon as the altar call would happen he'd be right up next to the stage and he'd just want hands laid on him. He just want hands laid on him. So Egan would preach. He'd preach a basic salvation, evangelistic message. God is able. And that altar would be absolutely packed. Absolutely packed with people begging and crying out for God. This one night, this woman is there. And she is, I mean, she's desperate. And then her baby starts crying. And she's like, stop. And the baby keeps crying, and he's just stopped. And so next, she's taking the baby off, and I'm thinking she's going to nurse. And next thing I know, she gives me the baby. <laughs> and I'm like, what? And, and she looks at me, and she points up, and she does this. And, like, she's letting me know she is there for Jesus. You take the baby. <laughs> the baby's, like, two months old, and I'm like, I'm bringing this one home, Zach. <laughs> So I'm holding the baby, I've got the shooker, you know, and I'm, you know, the baby's all upset and I'm praying in tongues, quote, and every single person's watching the white lady with the baby. <laughs> and I got that sweet little baby asleep and she received her prayer and then she came back to get the baby back, but I didn't want to give her back. <laughs> Said she's my African baby. 
But we'd go to pray for people. And I told Carol, man, I said, man, they're going to have this thing called the pit. And you're going to see demons manifest like you've never seen before. And they're going to slither and they're going to crawl and they're going to jump. And they're going to bite and they're going to punch and they're going to scream. But Carol, did anything prepare you for that? <laughs> Her seven-step card when she went to do her training would not have worked in Africa. And, you know, we all, you know, classes are important, and it's, you know, it's important to go through trainings and learn things. But let me tell you something. You're not going to go use a seven-step card when the demons are manifesting. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Some ministry is caught better than it's taught. And so we're there, and by golly gee whiz, you, they just, like this one woman that we prayed with on the side of the street, she just started screaming out, ah! in the middle of the altar call. So there they come, all the workers, and probably 10 of them pick her up, and she's, ah! and they bring her to this back of the stage, and there's this queen laid out, and they lay her down in the pit, and then all the workers come, and then boom, Jesus comes, and they're set free. So there's, you know, there's 20, 30 of us, maybe there's probably more like 10 of us praying for people and probably 30 or 40 workers. And we're going through the crowds praying for people. And like Carol said, the seven-step cards don't work because her seven-step card wants to know before you manifest, do you know Jesus? Have you received him? Let's get you born again and filled with the Holy Ghost, then we'll cast the thing out. That doesn't really work if you don't speak Swahili and that's their language. So we're going to pray for people, and you don't know what you're praying, and you don't know what they need, and you know that they don't understand a thing you're doing, and you don't know what's happening in them. And next thing you know, you're praying for them, and boop, out they go. You go out, you're getting carried to the pit. And we think, you know, you think, wait a second, that was so peaceful. Maybe they were just filled. And as soon as you think that and they get picked up, midair they start throwing punches and hissing and the demon because they under africans understand the spiritual world is real there's witch doctors all over the place you can't get healed you don't have money to go to a you know a medical doctor they send you to the witch doctor he there there are stories of you them making you cut dead flesh off of people to eat it for your healing right where you've got to pull this to get this blood, get the skin of this, eat it, wear it. So the demons are real. So when I tell you, Carol, for every five people we prayed for, at least one or two were possessed. No joke. And they're falling out. They're getting carried out. We're carrying them out. Next thing you know, they're dragging us in the pit. One night I said, I'm not going to the pit tonight. I just want to see people get healed and free. I'm good. I'm not going to the pit tonight. Next thing you know, I'm helping carry someone out. They ripped my toenail off. I'm in the back of the pit with them, and we're casting out demons. Spent the whole night casting out demons. And, the, 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 and I'm telling you this because it's real. It's the reality of what's happening on the earth, and God, Jesus is still alive on the throne. And so these women, Grace will remember, this one woman this time, and she's, you know, manifesting, she's punching people, and she's, yeah! And I was, I had enough because she was getting prayed for with her baby on her back. When she starts manifesting, they untie, and someone else took her baby. So that's the one I helped carry. And I had had enough of this manifesting in the demon because this girl was probably 16, 17 years old, her baby's over there. Her baby is freaked out. And mama needs to get set free. So my, I had enough. 
And so I let the workers do their thing, and then I go back to the woman, and I just grab her, and I said, enough is enough. In the name of Jesus, come out. She's completely free. And watch in a moment of time her eyes going from absolutely wild and insane and beating and punching to sitting straight up at perfect peace and asked for her baby. One moment of time. That same night, the very first girl that I prayed for that needed a healing, she had some an injury happen, and this eye was completely glossed over. She, her entire demeanor, everything about her was full of shame, was full of shame, shame for her and shame for her family, and this side of her face didn't work, and her eye was completely glassed over, and we prayed for her, and Lord, I don't have faith for this. And look, we can... I will teach and preach healing all day long, and I believe it 100%. But there's a different story when you go and you lay hands on someone who's had a traumatic injury and their eye does not work and their identity is lost in the fact that there is shame, that they can no longer provide the same essentials that they need in their home. And they are coming because it's the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity where a great miracle healing evangelist has come with his team. And maybe, just maybe, now's the time that I'll get my healing, that my shame will be gone, that I'll be able to fully live and fully see. And so as you go to lay hands, God, I don't have faith for it. But I know that you're able to heal her body. In the name of Jesus Christ, receive your sight. And that little girl was in that video. She received her sight. Every day that crusade went on, she came to testify because her sight was being restored more and more. And every day we saw her, she still carried that little bit of shame that she was that broken girl. And asked Carol, every day I would pray and believe, and I'm still praying and believing that her shame is gone and she'll have double portion in Christ Jesus. They had a little boy that was brought deaf and dumb. Deaf and dumb. And he got set free. He went home. They, they, we didn't even like bring him on the platform. Like no, nobody knew anything. We prayed for him in the crowd. He was just another kid with a mom in the crowd that we laid hands on. Jesus, 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 Jesus. And they bring him back the next day because all of a sudden he's talking for the first time in his life. For the first time in his life he can hear. So Egon was like, say Egon. He'd be like, Egon. Egon, but he could hear. And then we asked for her, the mom, and no one could find the mom. Well, the boy got set free and healed one night, and the night he's testifying, mom got set free of demons, and dad could do nothing but dance and sing the praises of Jesus. They had a man that was brought in by taxi from another town because he could not use his, his right leg. His right leg was completely useless. And they brought him in, and they, they literally brought him. He got out of the thing, the taxi. Someone brought a plastic chair, so like 500 feet, and he sat in it. And then when it got closer and closer to preaching time, they started carrying him. And this man was probably 6'2", six, 6'3", six, he's, a, he's a big guy, carrying him closer and closer and closer to the stage. And he had this crutch that they, he had to use, but it was so hard to get around that he didn't really use it. He just stayed immobile. And lo and behold, he, got, he walked up the steps to get on the platform, both legs fully functioning, and able to go and testify that the Lord healed him.
There was this little boy, probably three years old. Carol and I noticed as soon as we got to crusade one night, and he's behind us in the pit, and all the workers are working with him, and his legs were turned in and were so weak that he could not physically stand at all. He would crawl around. He was a tall boy, but absolutely like a floppy, just noodles, and would not stand. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. Crusade happens. We're praying for people. They're grabbing Carol and I. Man, they wanted us white women to lay hands on them. They were like this. Just to get our, us to lay hands on them, they would come. We'd be praying for people, and you'd feel people stroking you. I just want to touch their white skin. Can I touch your black skin? <laughs> but they, they were so precious. So they come and grab us to pray for this little boy. And we prayed for this little boy. And y'all, this little boy, he was not only able to stand, but he was able to take steps. The Lord is, is a Lord that heals. Isn't that amazing? So then, we, we're, that's crusade. After crusade, we go, are y'all doing okay? We're going to New Life Academy. So, you know, Egan and Hannah have New Life Outreach. They've launched in 2001 their schools. Now, I went 15 years ago when I went five years ago. And to see the progress that they're making in Africa as a result of these schools. So their, their um, passion is eliminating poverty through education. So when I went 15 years ago, it was only 500 students. They have almost 1,000 now. And almost all of those 500 students were all scholarshiped because nobody had any money. Today, there are graduates from their schools that are in the administration running things, graduates that are teachers, and less than 100, maybe 150, are scholarshiped, and the rest are able to find value in Christian education and able to pay for their schooling. Massive. Massive. But these schools were so precious. So y'all saw that picture of us with the soccer ball. And I told y'all, like, I want to bring balls. I want to bring all these gifts. I want to bring um, stickers and jump ropes and frisbees and all the things. Well, these kids were playing. And Egan and Hannah had asked that we give the gifts to their new school. They just bought a school last year downtown Arusha and it's in a Muslim area and they they were asked to purchase the school because the school was broke it was going bankrupt and it was broken they would have to shut the doors so New Life took it over but all their money was going to fix the problems not right so like those kids would really benefit but while we're at their first school I noticed them playing soccer with the oldest soccer ball I've ever seen and Jonathan even said, Mom, that ball was too old. And I said, Jonathan, if that's the only ball you have, that is gold. And they were playing. They were having the best time. It was, the air was going out. They didn't have a pump to pump it with. And we're walking to leave, and I see them, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have a soccer ball. So the guy that's helping me tells them she's, going, she's got a gift for y'all. She's going to get y'all a new soccer ball. And y'all saw it. They were literally chanting and singing and dancing because we were bringing them their soccer ball. And then the, what blessed my heart, so they were so thrilled, but they didn't throw away their old ball. They took the pump because we bought a dozen balls and a dozen pumps so that every ball got a pump. They took the pump and it pumped air into their old ball 
so that more people could play and they would have two balls to play with. So we also got to go into the orphanage. And y'all, those teachers, it wasn't just the kids. So those teachers, so they asked Carol, this one guy wanted me to see his office that he does the work of the school in so that the anointing would be transferred to his office so that as he does the planning with the community and all of the different things and the government officials for that school, that the anointing would be in that office. I mean, the teachers were begging for prayer. The teachers wanted us to know what, the, what role they had so that our hand of, of prayer and blessing would be upon them. And then we got to go to the orphanage, and the orphanage, so Haley's house is the only orphanage in Tanzania that you don't grow out of. So most of them, once you reach three, you're gone. Once you reach second grade, you're gone, right? Haley's house is their home. So if you are accepted into Haley's House Orphanage, you never get kicked out. That becomes your home. And um, I, we, I've been there. This is my third time to see them. I wanted to just bring them gifts. And so because of your donations, um, my kids and I went shopping. So all of them got brand new backpacks. All of them got brand new blankets and a stuffed animal. They all got this little baggie with American candies that they thought was so cool and wanted to know if they could wait to eat it later because we also went and bought them food. So y'all saw us sitting with them, right, and eating. So $20, y'all, and actually it ended up being like $11. $11 bought all of them, all of the teachers and administrators, $11. We had Cokes. We bought hot french fries, which they were like, oh my gosh, we have chips. Like that, they, that's what they called chips. They were so excited for hot chips and dried out bananas and dried out potatoes and we sat down and ate a meal together and y'all that was gold to them absolute gold the teachers the mamas of the house the kids and then they wanted to know we wanted to know what they liked and one is into civics and I said oh you're going to change the world you're going to change Tanzania and she said absolutely she said, I've got plans. And I was, I was like, we're praying the blessing of Jesus on you, woman. And others, their favorite subjects was physics. Or their fa and the one little girl who has um, epilepsy, and she can't go home because her family will not give her the epilepsy medicine. And it's severe epilepsy, so she stays at the orphanage so that they can care for her. And so her favorite subject, wherever Greta Workman is, um, is sewing. And she says, and so she, may, she sews bracelets, and she's learning to sew clothes so that hopefully one day she can get employed by New Life Outreach to make the school uniforms and give back. But that way she can support herself. So they were all telling us what they like, and then they said, Pastor Heather, what do you not like? What are you afraid of? So I was talking about, I don't like snakes. And so then we're going, you know, and one's, I don't like the dark. The dark scares me. But we got to really just know these girls. And then we also gave them money to buy new school uniforms, head to toe, socks, shoes, undergarments. They all, yes. They got new towels for the bathrooms for them to go shower. And they, were, they got those the same day that we were there. We left and that all the stuff arrived because we had to give them the money and they had to go you know, buy everything for them. And they were so blessed, they wrote us a letter of thanks and then asked if we would please come to their graduation 
so we could see them. And they said, thank you for remembering the African children. Because of your love, we now look smart. So you saw one of the pictures of, at the graduation of one of the girls. Uh, you know, I'm hugging her, and she's crying. How am I doing on time? Um, we're really late. Um, <clears throat> she's crying, but she's crying because what I didn't know was that this past year she had severe hernia, and she had to have multiple hernia surgeries, and so she had to go home to be cared for, and it was her elderly grandmother who really could not take care of her, but she had to have one-on-one -on -one care. And so she went home to stay with her grandmother, and what her grandmother told us at her graduation day was that she literally thought she was leaving Haley's house to go home and die. And that she not only didn't die, but she got made healthy and got to come back and was blessed by our ministry. She was able to graduate and has hope for a future again. I mean, I literally could go on for hours and hours with these stories. Um, we're going to do something with CLC. I got to work with Pastor B because I want to come to youth. Um, we'll, but I, I can't stay. I can't keep y'all all day. In Africa, I could. I could keep y'all till three, and nobody would care that you didn't eat. Um, did this bless y'all? And so what I want to leave you with, you know, really is those people, all those pictures and videos, and you'll keep seeing them, those are simple people, but they're just as important as you and I. They're absolutely just as important as you and I. And we are going to be supporting them. We are going, I, ha, I have an email in to Egan's son who runs all the school stuff. I want to know how much money it's going to cost to put up a soccer goal at that, that's the school that we gave them their very first balls. I want to know how much a soccer goals cost because those kids not only need an education, but they're valued enough to have fun. Uh, there's three girls at their main school that just the month before we got there, their mom was on a motorcycle taxi and she was killed. Dad ran away years ago when it got hard. So at 13 years old, the oldest is responsible for raising the younger two. And Egan and Hannah won't allow that, but they can't take her into Haley's house anymore because Hannah and Egan are getting a little older. It was, watch out, Pastor Zach's coming with a knife. <laughs> they can't take him into Haley's house because Hannah and Egan are getting older. And once you go into the home, you're there for life. So they have to make sure that those girls are taken care of. So the girls are now living at the school in the school dorms, and they're trying to figure out what to do. But those girls have to be sponsored for their education and have to be sponsored for their room, board, and clothing. And so as soon as I get that information, I'm bringing it to the church because I do believe that that's our responsibility. That we're going to follow these children and know that their lives and the generations to come behind them are changed because of the power of the gospel. So when we were on our, on our safari, we go to the crater and we get there that morning, and you're at the top of the crater, and it's completely foggy, and you can't see a thing. And I'm like, well, great, Jesus. I can't see anything. This is a, one of the seven wonders of the world, and I can't see anything. And then we start getting down, and the fog lifts. And it was the most beautiful sights I've ever seen. I just kept praying, Lord, please let me soak all of this in, that I can just come back here in memory. And he gave me this scripture 
when we were leaving the crater that day. And it's Habakkuk 2.14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that is all believers' responsibility. Go ye into all the earth. It's our responsibility to share the gospel message. You can come. I see you, Ansi. To share the gospel message of Jesus Christ across the earth. Whatever role we're in, whether it's night of hope here, whether it's inviting your neighbors, whether it's inviting a new person to sit with you, you know, our, our responsibility is to share the gospel. And as the waters cover the earth, his glory will cover the earth. And we're going to see that. We're going to see that, and not just on the other side of heaven, but we're going to see that on this side of earth. And so we're going back. And we're going back. And we're going to keep going back. And we're going to keep doing other trips. And for those that don't, I went on a trip every year until after we got married and had Zoe. Zoe didn't do well when I traveled, but she's older now, and she gets it. COVID ain't here anymore, and it's part of, it's part of my call. And it's part of my call. It's part of our call as a church, as your shepherd, and so we're going. So I want you to start praying now. Are you coming? Are you coming? Are you sowing into it next year? Um, or are you, are you coming out there? And um, Because we're going. They are begging. When I say begging, they are begging, begging, begging to come back. Pastor Peter is a pastor in the area that tra is our translator. He was there last time. He was there this time. And he said, Pastor, pastor women are not allowed to have any leadership roles there that the the first time i went egan was like i don't even know if they're gonna like you so i invited another man to come and preach in case they shot you down you can't preach ask pastor grace and then he was like oh my gosh they love you i was like i know so so i'm preaching you know and they're receiving they're getting transformed and changed and so pastor peter's like hey, pastor heather pastor heather they don't allow women to do this. But the message that God has given you is for our nation. You are a mother to Tanzania. We need the message God's given you for our country. Please, please, ask Carol. Please come back. Please come back. If your husband won't come, still come. And then the last day he goes, your husband's coming. We need you both. The children begged us to come back. The school administrators gave us a gift by a famous Tanzanian artist the last day, begging us, do not forget about us. Come back. Don't forget about us. And so, look, when I say they are in my heart, they are in my heart. Mike, I told you Africa is my favorite place on earth. Don't worry, I'm called to America. But we're taking trips. And I hope that you're going to come with us. And just like Carol, never be the same. Amen. So go ahead and put it on your calendar, August, September of next year. You're going to Africa or you're giving or you're praying. You're fasting and praying as we go because uh, that's coming up. And we're going to bring a lot of suitcases with a lot of gifts because I just want to bless them all. So so make, make arrangements. We, we have... Africa, there's other places, other missionaries, other ministries that have asked us to come. And so, you know, we've, we've been talking this past week of just, okay, the Lord has obviously said this is something we need to do. 
and he's opening the door, so we're going to do this. We're going to walk through the doors and see what God does. And so we need you to be behind us as we do this as a church, not just, not just financially, but to go, to go and to minister. And I agree 110%. Every Christian that is physically able needs to go on a mission trip. It will change your life. Um, it will change your life. I think one of my first missions trip was in Paris. Uh, the same time that I proposed uh, was also it was also a missions trip. It was a proposal trip, but it was also a missions trip. And um, I won her over to the Lord. And um, so. Uh, anyway, and I and I remember, I still remember, we were singing uh, before service all of the Parisian leadership of this church, and we were in the upper room of the church uh, before service praying. I still remember it vividly. We were singing, I think it was "I Love You, Lord," but it, they were singing in Parisian, but um, but we all knew the song because, French. It, yeah, French. Sorry, <laughs> <laughs> that thing. <laughs> Yeah, that thing, French, <laughs> Parisian, it's all the same. <laughs> anyway, they were all singing in a different language. They could have been singing in tongues, it didn't matter. <laughs> didn't matter. But I remember standing there just overwhelmed, crying, like, hysterically. <laughs> Watching as we were all of one body, different language, different lifestyles, different backgrounds, just overwhelmed. So anyway, I want to encourage you to go. The other thing that I want to encourage you in, and Heather mentioned this, is Night of Hope's coming up in November. And this, you know, yeah, um, Night of Hope, if you have never been a part of Night of Hope here at the church, I want to encourage you to get it on your calendar, November 15th. Um, we pressed pause on Night of Hope after all of the grocery distribution during COVID because it really took a lot uh, in our church to accommodate. I mean, we were moving 30,000, 40,000 pounds of groceries a week um, with, with our hands. Yeah, it was a lot of work. We, man we served 20,000 people in 12 different counties around us during COVID. During COVID. That's all, yeah, y'all need to give yourselves a great big hand and God bless you to each other because that was incredible. And so we, we pressed pause after that because we knew we needed to recuperate, but the Lord has said it's time to, to amp up again with Night of Hope. And so it's coming up. So we're, not only do you go globally with the gospel, but we go locally with the gospel. And so Night of Hope is just a phenomenal way to do that. This building will be packed with people getting groceries, haircuts, um, medical screenings, you name it. It will be full. It will be wild. If you've never been a part of it, I know there's a lot of folks that have become part of our church family since that was paused and you haven't been a part of any of that type of outreach. I'm telling you now, get it on your calendar. Make room for it. Serve on a volunteer team. It is going to be a blast. It will change your life. Um, Every, I mean, we emphasize, you'll hear us say it as we lead up to Night of Hope, the night of at our volunteer rally, 
we always say, who's your one? Some of you have heard us say that in leadership. Who's, your, who's, who's the one? Who's the person that God's placed in your life to minister to tonight? And I want to encourage you, be a part of Night of Hope. It's going to be powerful. And that's, that's our local go. So we have global missions that we support and we're going. And then locally, Night of Hope, I want you to be a part. It's going to be powerful. Can you, so just, just I'm going to ask everyone to stand. Worship team, if you want to come back. And then just, um, just pray a prayer of commissioning and blessing over everyone as we wrap up here. Can we do that? Can you stand with us, those across the room? If you're at your home, we just want to, I'm going to ask Heather to pray a prayer of blessing and commissioning over you. There are people in your life, in your world, that God has put there that need the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2024, one of the things, sorry, I'm going to wrap this up and we're going to pray. But I want you to know this is coming. In 2024, the Lord has challenged us that we are, we are, we are going to focus, like laser focus on soul winning. So uh, when I say laser focus, gospel to the nations in 2024. So get ready. Thank you, Lord. Why don't you just grab the hand of someone next to you? Now that we're all sweaty in our seats. Jesus. We just worship you, Jesus. We just worship you, Jesus. Paula, can you go grab Miss Sue? Thank you so much. You already were on it. Look that Holy Ghost in us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for Celebration Church. I thank you for this body. I thank you for every member of this body, that you have a purpose, that you have a commissioning for each and every one of us. And Father, I thank you for a fresh mantle for a fresh mantle upon this church. For a fresh mantle upon this church. Just as pastors warn the Maasai warrior Shuka today. As a sign of another people, of another culture. Lord, you're taking that Shuka, you're taking that warrior mantle. And you're covering this body. with a fresh mantle, a fresh cloak, fresh anointing to get past our own fears, to get past our own agendas, and to live the life of Christ. Your word says, ask of me and I'll give you the nations. Jesus, today we're asking you for our families. We're asking you for our families. We're asking you for our neighborhoods, for our city, and for our region. We're asking you for the Great Lakes. Lord, let it begin in us, and let it begin today. Let it begin in me. That I don't have to wait a year. I don't have to wait for a trip. I don't have to wait for lights. But I can begin today with my commissioning 
to see my family saved, to see my family healed, to see my family set free, to see my region on fire for you, Jesus. And Lord, let it not stop there. Let Night of Hope be the first fruits to many as we go and travel across our nation and across the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let there be unity in this body and may your blessing be upon it. Go ye into all the earth. Go ye from this day forward clothed with the mantle of Christ to preach the good news, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, to set the captives free, to heal the sick. Father, I thank you for your commanded blessing upon this house. Thank you, Jesus. Let's worship him.